0: everybody welcome to the workshop um, i'm really excited to have you all here and so uh before i get going into this um there will be some q a time afterwards so if there's uh questions you guys have that you want me to talk about you can just ask them afterwards or if you um want you could also uh text them to or private message alex uh um, if you are a little self-conscious about that, but that is a-okay. Uh, um, so yeah, welcome guys to, uh, welcome guys here. And so I'm going to get us started um, with a question. Um, have you ever wanted to do, try, wanted to do something, but you are too anxious to try? If you're feeling brave enough, go ahead and share it in the comments. Uh, for me, I went through this pretty often when I first joined Challenge and was initially talked to about the purpose uh, uh, of evangelism when it was first brought up to me. I remember it was my first spring break five years ago. And the speaker was talking about the needs of the world for evangelism. I remember thinking in my head, this makes sense. This is a good thing. But I was so scared of doing it. I was so terrified. In fact, the first time I tried to uh, actually share the gospel with somebody, I uh, um, it took me two hours before I worked up the courage to actually share with that person. So, uh, um, you are in good company, <laughs> if that's how you're feeling. Uh, um. If you've got anxiety in your life that's stopping you from doing what you want to be doing and what you think God has for you, this workshop is for you. Because uh, um, here's the thing, guys: I think because of the pandemic, many people's many of our anxieties have felt heightened, or maybe you're experiencing a lot of anxiety for the first time. Either way, it can feel very defeating and difficult to figure out what to do about it. My hope Is that wherever you are with your anxiety, this workshop will help you develop helpful strategies for the future. Now, you might be struggling with anxiety if you felt these kinds of things. Maybe an intense fear of social interactions in a wide variety of contexts, or maybe you felt anticipatory anxiety that leads you to avoid opportunities for conversation or public speaking. Maybe you've got extreme symptoms of anxiety when you are in unwanted or stressful social interactions and personal or dealing with personal expectations. Maybe you have poor verbal communication skills that are complicated by an inability to think clearly while you're experiencing anxiety. Maybe you're overly critical in how you evaluate yourself and your performance after conversations, spoken presentations, or when important tax or, uh, tasks are finished. Or maybe you have really lowest self-esteem and a lack of self-confidence, which is being reinforced by constant self-criticism. I got this list from one of the main uh, um, sources of uh, dealing with mental health. It's a large website. Um, And so, yeah, so maybe you're feeling those things. Um, I will say, going into this, this is not going to be a complete picture of overcoming anxiety. If we were to do that, we'd probably be here for hours. Rather, my goal in this workshop is to help you identify anxiety in your life and to give you strategies to begin having success in areas of your life that are currently dominated by anxiety. Now, a quick point of clarification. If you've got like a serious anxiety disorder or it's like particularly severe, consider getting help. I'm not a licensed therapist. Uh, I'm just somebody who's struggled with anxiety my whole life. And so uh, considering taking medication, if it's that bad, might be an option uh, um, if you go to a therapist and they're like, hey, this might be helpful. Um, I have friends who are on medication for anxiety and it's been helpful for them. Uh, um, But I still think that even if you're dealing with it on that severe of a level, that um, what we'll be talking about will be helpful. So to get started, uh, um, do we have that handout? Has that handout been shared yet? It has, yeah. Okay, cool. I was waiting for somebody to say something. Perfect. So, uh, um, So we're going to get into this handout. And so the first point is the first part. So that we can have this freedom to act, the freedom to choose what we want to do, is we have to pinpoint the source. So to get started, I'm going to put us on a one-minute timer. I want you to write out for yourself, so maybe on your phone or um, in your notes is a great place. um, Write down a quick list of the biggest sources of your anxiety. So we're going to take one minute to just think of anything you can think of and write as many things as you can think of in terms of, um, what's causing you anxiety. It might be long, might be short, but go ahead and start now. So just kind of take some time to think about it. And
1: I'll throw some ideas out if you're kind of stuck as you're thinking about it. So maybe, maybe your anxiety is triggered from social situations. maybe the anxiety is performance-based, maybe something like school.
0: All right, that's about a minute. So, personally for me, the primary source of anxiety in my life has always been social. Since I was a little kid, I've struggled in group contexts. Uh, For example, when I was in kindergarten, I got put in a public school, and uh, my mom drove around to see, you know, how's little Noah doing? And I was curled up in a ball underneath the slide, uh, panicking. So this is something that I've dealt with. Like I said, my whole life I've dealt, I've been really bad with group contexts, um, which hit its peak my first two years of college. Um, At this time, I didn't interact with anyone outside of a few very close church friends and family. And I had a constant urge to appear excellent. Otherwise, I would be judged by those around me. I spent a lot of my time playing video games. I'm talking like eight to 10 hours a day because that was like the closest that I could get myself to interacting with people socially. Uh, um, And this anxiety also was like mixed up and tied in with personal uh, performance and like my ability to be in school. And like I said, this dominated my life for years until I joined challenge uh, where I was able to begin taking active steps to overcoming these feelings. So being able to identify what's causing your anxiety in your life is key to conquering it in your life. Uh, um, It can seem obvious. It's like, this seems like a no brainer, but when you're in the moment, when you're got anxiety and it's all going crazy, you get focused on just the feelings and trying to uh, um, deal with the feelings and not with what is the actual sources, what's creating this cycle in the first place. Now, when I first joined Challenge, I wrote out a list like we just did. So it was something that um, I had just done and I, I found it recently and I looked over it and I had 24 like specific things that were like causing me like major anxiety in my life. And I remember when I first wrote it down, I looked at it, I was like really discouraged and I felt really defeated. Uh, um, I was like, there's all these things in my life. I don't know how I'm going to get through all these things. I don't know how I'm going to be better. And looking back on it now, I've like crossed out so many of those things. Most of those things don't cause me anxiety anymore. And that is just a proof of the work that God has done in my life. And um, with, the, with through the help of a lot of different people that have given me different strategies um, to help me go through it. And so, uh, um, so wherever that you are with your list right now, don't feel discouraged because God can work in your life. If the way I tell, what I tell people is if I can be where I'm at, then you guys can like, Like then God can work in your life to overcome that anxiety as well. So don't be discouraged. If you ever feel discouraged, come talk to me and I'll share some stories of some of the things I've done because of my anxiety, which I'll continue to share. Don't worry. Second, so the next thing on your handout is identifying amplifiers. Now, sometimes your normal sources of anxiety aren't the only things contributing to that anxiety. There are things that on their own may not be making you anxious, but when combined with anxiety that exists, makes it like way worse. These of course could be their own sources of anxiety, but for the purposes of what I'll be talking about, we're going to uh, um, think of them in how they amplify anxiety. So I'm sure we could list all kinds of things that make anxiety worse, but I'm gonna focus on these five that I think are relevant to most college students or many college students. So they're all there on the handout. And the first one is comparison. In our social media age, there is so much opportunity to compare ourselves to friends. Like for example, maybe you're scrolling through, you see a photo of someone getting lunch with a mutual friend and you're like, why aren't I getting lunch with this person? Why is that person getting lunch with that person? I wanna do that. And you start feeling bad about yourself. Or maybe you're scrolling, you see someone who's got a post workout pick and they're all swole and muscular. And you're laying there looking at the picture on your sofa with a two pound bag of popcorn your dad bought. Uh, you know, maybe that's just me, but regardless, we're so easily disposed for this. I had a friend once explain it to me. That it's so easy to compare our backstage to other people's highlights. It's so easy to compare our backstage with other people's highlights. When you're going through what people show, especially on social media, generally is their best side. It's the things that look great, they look squeaky clean. You know, you got the, the filters on the with the, and the Photoshop and all of that. Uh, um, we only see the good stuff and we're comparing the best of people's lives with like our garbage. Like if I'm going to compare like a picture of like this curated meal made by Gordon Ramsey to what is currently in my trash can, like we wouldn't call that a fair comparison. And so we need to be careful about that, doing that in our own lives. The second thing is sin. If you've got sin in your life that you aren't confessing or pet sins that you are holding on to, the guilt that comes from that can have an impact on your anxiety. The sin can also put you in this term. I, I love this term. It's called cognitive dissonance. It is essentially a scientific term for hypocrisy. Who you see yourself as and your actions that you do don't line up. So maybe you believe that it's important to, uh, like that loving dogs is like a big thing. You love dogs. But every time you see a dog, you kick it. You have cognitive dissonance because your actions and what you say you believe, they're not lining up. Something is off. When we are in this state when it comes to sin, that can tap into all kinds of anxieties and insecurities that you have Um, it can dredge things up there's all kinds of different areas where that can be dangerous next health this is an area i've been really starting to grow in recently especially since getting married to someone who is healthy Um, how you take care of yourself has a big effect on your mental health like are you getting enough sleep are you pulling like all-nighters twice a week Uh, are you living off of a diet of dinosaur chicken nuggets, pizza rolls, and energy drinks, uh, if that, that's, that's what I used to live off of when I was in college, uh, if you're not taking care of your body, when you start feeling anxious, you're not only feeling miserable from anxiety, but also just from not being healthy, and the next point ties in uh, um, to the, this health, but caffeine, man, it's kind of, Specified off of health, of course, but like, I think this rings up with a lot of us, you know, staying up late, you know, you've, maybe you're in a situation where, you know, you got homework due, maybe it's like a 12 page essay, you're stressed, you're anxious out of your mind, and you start chugging coffee and caffeine to uh, try and like, uh, um, to try and like keep it up, try and keep it going, and maybe your mind is like crazy active. And your, uh, um, your body is like feeling like trash. Uh, this is an example that I found of how I feel when I drink too much caffeine late at night. Um, I feel like this chair does. Where it's screaming. And it can't move. <laughs> so. With that. Uh, um, like it's obviously it's useful. Obviously it's something that's helpful. But. If you're not careful with it, can really impact your anxiety. Finally, there's conflict. Uh, when I say conflict, I mainly mean relational issues. Uh, um, even if you don't deal with anxiety, having unresolved tension in your relationships with others can impact your anxiety without even realizing it, because you've got this added stress, this added weight of the relationship there. There's a reason why in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So one minute. Which amplifiers are making your anxieties worse? So write down those. And if you can think of anything, like maybe there's other amplifiers that could be worsening your anxiety, write those down. So take, take a minute. All right. That wasn't quite a minute, but we're going to move on. So that we make sure I want to make sure we have time for any potential questions you guys might have. So we have identified some things in our lives. You've written, hopefully you've written some things down. Now we're going to shift over to strategies. What do we do? <laughs> and so uh, obviously everybody and their mother has strategies for coping with anxiety. Uh, uh, these the what I'm going to be sharing with you are are five areas, five, uh, um, five strategies that I've used in my life to help me overcome the anxiety that I've dealt with. Uh, um, and so uh, we're gonna just we're just jump right into it. So the first one is we need to reframe your anxiety in reality. We're gonna reframe your anxiety in reality. Now, if you've hung out with me for any length of time, you might notice that in I'm dealing with stressful things, something that I'll say is, well, at least nobody died. And that's a win. Uh, It seems silly, I know. But the reason why I say that to myself and to others is because often our anxiety can lead us into imagining worst case scenarios or we're quick to imagine people jumping to conclusions and judgments about us, which most of the time maybe isn't even the case. So I'm going to define reframing as the pot as the process of taking things that are overvalued in life and putting them into perspective with the realities of God's involvement in it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat that because that was a lot. So reframing is the process of taking things that are overvalued in life and putting them into perspective with the realities of God's involvement. Matthew 6, 25 through 27 says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? In this section, Jesus is reframing for his listeners, their words. He's reframing them. He's saying, okay, there. what are their worries? What are they worried about? They're worried about what they're going to eat, their food, and what they're going to wear, their clothing. And this is what Jesus says. Hey, in light of the fact... That God cares for wild birds, doesn't that mean he'll take care of us, who he cares about, who he loves us, who calls us children, way better? This act of reframing puts our comparatively small worries into scope with the realities of life and God's providence. And I know sometimes, you know, anxiety, it feels big. It feels like this giant thing. But, but, when you compare that to the power of God, those things become small. So, two strategies for helping us to reframe. First, first thing is, work out your schedule. Learn how to schedule. Uh, um, Especially if you're feeling, like, a general sense of overwhelmedness. and if that's contributing to your anxiety, working out your schedule, planning things ahead can make huge dividends. Um, and so to get started, um, I'm going to share something quickly, but I would recommend if is something, something you're interested in, check out in our Be a Disciple series on, our, on Challenges website, there's a time management lesson that's been written for you to help you figure out how do you manage your time. But Start with the things that are static and can't move. So maybe that's challenge events, maybe that's work hours, maybe that's class times, like everything that can't move. Maybe you babysit or something, you know, put it all into your calendar. And then all the extra time you have, fill that in with your homework, with the different tasks that you have. Uh, um, put it all in there. And if you want to take breaks, Put those breaks in your schedule. It can feel nitpicky and it can feel like, man, Noah, I don't have time to do this. Maybe some of you are thinking that right now. Noah, I don't have time for this. I got too many things going on. But here's the thing. If your workload is really that big, then you can't afford not to do the not to do this. Uh, uh, something that Jacob willebec Lamar has told me, which he probably heard from someone else, is like an hour... Spent in, in, like, managing his time saves him 10 hours in a week. Because he knows, and if you do this, you know when things are going to happen. You know? And the great thing is, if you, you can easily put away stresses about, oh, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to get X homework done? How am I going to get Y schoolwork done? Because guess what? You've already made the time to do it. It's already in your weekly schedule. So that's not a problem you have to deal with right now because it will be dealt with later. And when you take time to relax, you can actually relax. Secondly, if you've got a lot of, let's say, social anxiety, then you're going to have to give yourself questions that help you kind of get out of your head. Now, this is speaking more from experience, but for me, just as someone with, a lot of social anxiety. What tends to happen is is that I maybe I do something stupid. I make a weird joke or, I don't know, like a weird sound or do something really awkward. And that happens. And then I start thinking about what do people think of me because I did this thing. And then I do more awkward things because I'm kind of anxious and stressed. And that's what I do. And I'm anxious. And then it kind of, becomes this cycle and it just feeds itself and so in order to break myself out of that i have to ask myself questions that take me out of that i have to ask myself do i do people really think this like really like another thing do people really have the time to think about this i've noticed that people spend a lot less time thinking about me and the weird things i've done than I think they do. The only exception that I would maybe give is my wife, but that's because she's stuck with me. So bar that like you know asking these kind of asking questions to help you break out of the cycle, this round, this ring around the rosy, this cycle and questions, especially ones focused on God can really help you. So one minute application. what are you? overvaluing in your life that's causing you to be anxious what is being given space that god should be in and you know an additional question to that why do you think that is why is this thing being valued so heavily so take a couple seconds write down some thoughts
1: some things
0: All right, I'm gonna cut it there. I don't actually know if we have if that was a thousand minute, but that's okay. All right, we're going to continue along. Oop. Sorry, I accidentally messed up the chat, so I want to see all y'all's faces. Anyway, moving forward, point number two, eliminating amplifiers and unnecessary anxiety. Our guys, our lives are busy. We've got a and we've got so many things vying for attention. Companies spend literally millions of dollars trying to get you to notice their product amidst all the other products. I mean, literally, just in the Super Bowl alone, people spend millions and millions of dollars. It's wild how much your attention is worth to these companies. And it's so easy for us to just kind of take stuff on, just kind of pick and grab things that seem interesting to us. And before we know it, we've grabbed a few things that are actually harmful and contributing to our anxieties. Now, when I say unnecessary anxiety, that can seem like a funny term because technically all anxiety is unnecessary. So what I mean is this is stuff that's like really doesn't matter. To give you an example, uh, there's this video game called Rust that I used to be really into. Now, I don't need to explain to you how the game works for you. All I need to tell you is that it added so much stress to my life, just because of how the game worked. Um, it was just a naturally stressful multiplayer game, and regardless of which, after putting in four over four hundred hours into this game, I eventually realized, "Wow, why am I playing this? All it's doing is making me miserable. It's keeping me up at night, and..." I quit it. And since quitting it, my quality of life has gone up so much. Now, there's this thing that is totally unnecessary. It's not something, you know, it's not school. It's not work. It's not things that are contributing to my life. It's just this random thing that I've taken on that's just making me anxious. That doesn't need to be there. I don't need to be experiencing anxiety from this thing. Uh, um, often. Here's the thing though, these really unnecessarily sources of anxiety, the reason why we hold on to them is because for one reason or another, we want them. There's some level of desire about it. And so otherwise we wouldn't hold on to it. If we didn't want it in some way, we get rid of it. An example I've dealt with recently has been Facebook, specifically what other people post on it. Um, I would read like, for whatever reason, I like dealing with, like, I like thinking and discussing of controversial subjects. Um, And I would read all these different people, things that different people posted. And I noticed that it was just, I was just getting anxious. People talk about the election. People talk about the pandemic. And, like, all these opinions. And, like, like the world was going to end no matter what happened, basically. And... Even I wanted to read this stuff because I enjoy reading controversy, but I realized I don't need the stress. So I started just blocking all kinds of people on my Facebook feed. And since blocking all these people, sure, I'm not enjoying the controversy as much as I would be, but also I'm way less stressed than I was before I started culling all these people. Uh, things. And now my Facebook's mostly memes and cooking things that I enjoy uh, that don't add stress to my life. So one easy way to identify this unnecessary anxiety is to identify what is the result. So if it's something like school, okay, the result is, is grades, working for a degree. This is something that you are actively working towards. Or if it's a job, okay, you need money to pay for things. And so these things, again, they're not, the anxiety is still not good, but with those things, we can focus more on reframing it, like we talked about before, taking these things and putting them in light and perspective of God's providence. However, if there's no good thing coming out of that anxiety. Just toss it. You don't need it. You might be bummed about it for a week or two, but you'll get over it your life will be way better because of it. Now, on the topic of amplifiers, so sometimes it can be hard to find. We talked a lot earlier about amplifiers, why they're bad, some examples, And sometimes it can be hard to figure out what is making my anxiety worse on top of just the stuff that I get anxious about. And so, and maybe you struggle with writing down some or thinking of some, I've got two tricks for you, two tricks to help you identify amplifiers. One way is through journaling. So keeping track of habits, routines, thoughts. In doing this regularly, you can see trends of things that are causing you anxiety over and over and over again. For me, when I'm writing in my journal or my quiet times about like, man, this experience from this game just made me like stressed. If that keeps happening over and over and over again, that might be telling that maybe I shouldn't be doing that thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Another way, and this is a little bit of a scarier way, but it's more, it's very effective, is asking a mentor, a disciple, or someone who cares about you that's close to you, what they think. <laughs> they will have a very objective look in your life, and especially if it's someone that knows you well, um. However, be prepared for an answer you may not want to hear. They might see something in your life that again, you're holding on to, you really like this thing. And they're like, dude, it's making you miserable. And it can be hard to let go of that kind of stuff, but be teachable, be humble in those moments and you can reap a lot of benefits. So one minute application, what amplifiers can you eliminate and how will you do so? It might take less than a minute to make sure we have time, but quick, write
1: down some thoughts.
0: All right, we're gonna keep moving on. If I didn't give you enough time to write down, don't worry. I encourage you to go back after this and finish in those thoughts. Don't leave them unfinished. The next few points we're gonna bust through. So the next one is deal with unconfessed sin, all right? Sin eats at our conscience and can create cognitive dissonance, which we talked about, um, between who we are and what we're doing. Now, here's the thing. I'm gonna add a little something with the, what we talked about cognitive dissonance. When you're faced with it, when people are faced with that, people tend to do one of two things. You either change your actions to match your convictions, or you change your convictions to match your actions. So with cognitive dissonance, people either change their actions to match their convictions or change their convictions to match their actions. Now, the second one is way easier to do than the first one because the second one takes no work. Uh, For myself, I used to swear like a sailor And before, uh, uh, this is before challenge, (laughs) but I used to have really, really bad language and really like digging language. Now, I could have, in my walk with God, either chosen to stop swearing or change how I feel about language so that, you know, it's okay to swear if it's just with your friends and, you know, you're not swearing at someone, it makes the joke funnier. Uh, um, I had changed my conviction on that. And that only led to me doing it more and it becoming a much, much worse habit. So that by the time that I got to challenge, it was really bad. And I had to put a lot of work in to change my convictions that I created and ultimately change my actions. So if we don't confess and repent from sin in our lives, that dissonance can take situations you'd normally be finding and turn them into anxious arenas. So if you're constantly struggling with sin, first off, you have to confess that stuff to God. And First 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And uh, uh, Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions for us. Uh, um, I want to encourage you, if you're stuck in something that's routine, that's something that you feel like you can't get out of, find some accountability partners. Find some people that you can be open with. Tell them what's going on and have them hold you accountable to work towards that. Not only will that help you, but when you do start seeing success, you have people to celebrate it with. So one-minute application. Take some time to pray. Take, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, however long we decide. Think about, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? If you think of anything, write it down and confess it to God right now. So just take some time, just kind of think and pray and see, is there anything that you're holding in your heart that you need to give to God? All right, right. keep going. Next point, spend more time in prayer. Prayer can be used as a pretty flippant answer when dealing with anxiety. I can't tell you how many times that I've had a pastor or somebody tell me, Noah, if you just pray, the anxiety will go away. And I'll pray and the anxiety doesn't go away. I'm still as anxious. And so I want to focus this thought because prayer does help. Being with, spending the time with God does help. Um, the role, uh, I'm going to mention this first. Uh, Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. It says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Prayer won't necessarily make anxiety go away immediately. Sometimes it can. Sometimes God chooses to bless you with that. However, what it will do is it will put the anxiety, again, reframing. It'll put the anxiety in the context of your life, in the context of God putting Christ back as ruler and decision maker. There's been many times where God has prompted me to share the gospel with somebody or approach someone in a crowd for doing a survey or something. And I'm praying, I'm shaking in my boots. Praying doesn't necessarily make me full of boldness and go forward. But what it does do is it gives me the strength and the courage to do it. In spite of me shaking in my boots and being terrified about it. Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. So one minute application. I want you just to take a minute to write out a simple prayer to repeat yourself in the moment of anxiety. Maybe it's one of the verses that um, I just shared. Maybe it's a, verse, a different verse that you know. But write down something, just a quick, small something that you can repeat yourself or to yourself um, a quick prayer to get to God. All right. I encourage you with this one specifically. Come back to this if you haven't finished it. Because I have taken the verses that I've memorized for dealing with anxiety are what got me through. Praying scripture is what is one of the main things that I uh, attribute to my success in dealing with my anxiety. Is praying through scripture as I'm going to do whatever it is that I'm crazy anxious about. The last point is fight for rest. Here's a reality check for a lot of us. Most of what we do to try to rest doesn't actually end up being all that restful. A lot of what we do, I think, is zone out, where we watch TV, we play games, or just kind of tune out of reality. But it doesn't help us to recover. It doesn't help us to rest and be prepared for what God has for us next. I recently read this quote on rest that's really helped me define What it's supposed to be. So, rest is not a reward for work done, but is what fuels us for the work ahead. Rest is not a reward for work done, but is what fuels us for the work ahead. We often try and reward ourselves with risk, but then we just end up burnt out because we're not preparing ourselves for what lies ahead and getting us ready for future work also resting is a part of the ten commandments i honestly i feel like this is one of the most glossed over of the commandments and maybe one of the most ignored parts of the bible in our busy fast-paced culture but in exodus 28 and 11 it says remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy I don't think it matters so much when you do your Sabbath. Uh, um, For example, I do mine on Mondays because I do a lot of work with all y'all students on the weekends. And so uh, um, when you do it is not as important as what you as, as doing it, as making sure it's done. And knowing when and how to actually rest can be pretty difficult. So I threw together just a couple ideas. There's plenty of other things you could do. For example, Maybe spending some extra time just abiding and meditating on Jesus' words and praying, just thinking about the scripture. Maybe sleeping for eight hours and actually getting some good quality sleep might be good. Maybe going out and a walk in nature, just kind of breathe and separate yourself from all the things that are making you anxious. Or maybe spending time with friends that are encouraging to you. Whatever it is, Resting is really important. So last one minute application, what can you do to truly rest? And when could you make time for it? So take a few seconds, think about this question, write some stuff down. All right, so that wraps up my our, you know, my time talking. So now I want to open up to questions. So maybe I said something you want me to elaborate on or maybe you have something in your life you wanted some advice in or whatever it is. You can feel free to ask away. And you can just you, you can post it in the chat if you want. Um, you can just, you know, ask it. There's only, a, you know, a handful of us, so don't have to worry about us talking over each other.
2: Uh, so one thing I've always kind of, uh, my video one. Um, one thing that I've always kind of, like, was kind of confused about was, like, the Sabbath. You know, mm. um, there's, like, some people who I know that, like, are on, like, oh Sundays, like, we don't do anything. Like, we just chill or, like, we're doing mass, we're trying family, whatever some a lot of people at least college students I mean that's a day where you catch up on homework and you go to the gym or you go to work or Mm -hmm. you know you don't have time during the week to do any of those things um and you said like you choose a day not necessarily a whole day but you choose a time in the day on a certain day to like kind of like um like fulfill that like um, honor that type of thing so Mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm just a little confused on that like is that something that like we have to be doing or is that something that's kind of more optional or is that something that's mm. really, i feel like yeah. that's something that I'm, i've not really ever been clear on you know
0: yeah so this is i'm just going to requote what the scripture says remember the sabbath day to keep it holy on the seventh day you shall not work neither you nor your son or daughter nor you know anybody so this is one of the Ten Commandments. So considering where it lies in the Bible, this is, I would say, a very important command. But it's something that if we don't build our lives around, like you said, you know, a lot of times, like Sunday, for example, is like, you know, that's that's day to catch up on homework. That's, you know, you're doing, you know, there's different stuff that you're doing, uh, um. So defining what the Sabbath means can be difficult. And so this is what I found for myself. Uh, um, these, the point of the Sabbath is to be with God. Like that was his point. It's a holy day to honor he who is holy and to rest, to actually prepare yourself for the week ahead. Uh, um, and so, like, maybe, you know, that's why a lot of people, you know, Sabbath is church. And like, uh, um, you know, just spending time with God's people, spending time in worship. Uh, um, But, like I said earlier, we don't really build our lives around this. So, if you're not doing this, what I encourage you to do is to start somewhere. Just just to start somewhere. Maybe taking a day to eventually kind of start working towards being the Sabbath for you. So, I think Sunday is probably one of the easiest days for um, most, you know, for most of us, for especially if you're a college student. Um, but it's to just take a chunk of time to rest. Maybe it's like an hour. And you fight to make it so that you have an hour in your week to rest. And then later on, okay, you've got that and your schedules kind of float around that. All right. So the next question, how can you make that? Two hours. How can you make that two hours a time of rest? And how are you going to work your schedule around so that you can do that? So, over time, over time, like you will get to a point where you're able to set aside a whole day to rest and prepare for the week ahead and organize your week so that you can, you know, get everything done you need to. But, uh, um, oh, I like what Alex put. It's God's gift for us. You know, this is not, you know, we don't want to think about this as like a requirement. Like, oh, I have to to slog for this. This is supposed to be a blessing for us. And so with that in mind, God knows your heart. If you're seeking out and trying to figure out and taking steps towards that, then I think that really honors him. And so um, wherever you're at, figure out how do you take a step in the direction? Is that helpful? Yeah, it is, thank you. appreciate it. Awesome, that was a great question. That's something I've, uh, yeah. All right, so Mason has a question about swearing. Um, Advice on how to stop. The first thing I did um, in terms of uh, stopping this, was memorize Ephesians 4.29. So I'm going to bring it up because I try and quote it, but uh, um, I don't want to accidentally, you know, get stuck. So Ephesians 4.29, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. For a long time, I tried to just not... Uh, Um, I, I just tried to not swear. Okay. I'm just not going to say those things that didn't really work. (laughs) I still did it. Or I did it when I was by myself. There are other, like, you know, I would put almost like qualifiers on when I could swear. What I found was better is to focus on how can I say things to lift people up? How can I lift up my, uh, when I was in college, I lived with my family. So um, how can I say things to lift my family up? When I moved to the guy's house, how can I lift up my roommates with my words? How can I encourage them? Because we're all struggling. We're all dealing with sin in our lives. We all got anxiety and stress going on. So how can we, so how can I encourage them along? And as my language focused on that, I noticed that I just stopped swearing less. And like my language, it was less about not saying specific words. And it became more about the attitude in which I spoke to others. Uh, um, so that's the that's what I would do. Memorize Ephesians 429 and make plans. I mean, straight up, like, you know, however many roommates you have, divide that into a week. And so you encourage someone else every day. You say something encouraging. Find something uh, to encourage your roommates or the people that you're around with. And do that every day. And if you do that for a few months, the way you speak will begin to change. Uh, um, so, yeah. So that would be my what I would advise, advise you to try out. Um, Katie asked, what are some examples of things we tend to overvalue? School and work are things that we tend to overvalue. And I say that not because they're not important, but because we tend to put God aside to make time for that. Um, It becomes the things that we identify ourselves by. And that's where things get real dangerous. Um, Going back, I used to identify myself by my success in school. Um, And I had, like, a pretty high GPA going throughout uh, high school and college. And, but, but that was because I had, like, built this thing into my identity. Who I was as a person was tied with how well I did in school. And because I overvalued that, because I put such great weight on my future and all these things on my school, I was anxious all the time about it. I had constant anxiety about it. And so, but when I began to put God in that spot, the other things, again, they're still important. You still make time for them, but it doesn't define you. It doesn't, you know, it's like if I do bad at this test, that doesn't define who I am in God's eyes. And that is such an important truth to hold on to. I remember I had uh, a, one of the biggest, one of my biggest successes in anxiety was I had a paper I worked on in the honors program that took me a year to write. So this sucker was a big deal. And in fact, if I did poorly on this paper, then I wouldn't have been able to graduate because it covered core requirements and all that. So I had all the room in the world to be anxious about this thing. And I had to constantly tell myself, my worth, my value is not tied up in this paper. And when I told myself that, when I uh, reminded myself of that reality, that God's love for me won't change because if I do poorly on this, then I'm able to focus on writing the paper without it being a source of identity for myself. So, yeah. Sweet, these are some great questions. Um, It is 4.59, are there any other quick things or any questions that anyone wants to ask?
2: Do you have any like tips or tricks when maybe your brain doesn't feel anxious but your body feels anxious? So like you know it's true but your body's still going wacky?
0: Mm. Um, So these are some things that are personal to me. So they may be different, but this, you know, to help kind of get your brains working in that direction. I found that going on walks or hikes or just physically doing something with my body is so helpful. I find when my body, if my body is still anxious, a lot of times it's because I'm like sitting, I'm not doing anything. And it's just kind of festering. I've straight up been like crazy anxious in the middle of the night and I'll get up. And I'll just kind of pace around or I'll walk around or I'll go walk around the block or something like a lot of that nervous energy that just kind of the shaking or something like that. um, I've had pretty visceral uh, um, reactions to anxiety in my life. Um, Just to give you a little insight, when I get really anxious, um, I straight up can't talk like it's like almost like a guttural stop. And I start like shaking, like really badly. Uh, um, and so sometimes, you know, I kind of just walk it off. Um, and that, that has been so helpful for me. So try that. Um, I think that physical things, whatever you do to help with that, it should be something that's physical. Maybe it's working out or I don't know. For me, also another one is stress eating. Uh, um, like, I stress eat a lot, and, like, it, food helps, straight up, food does help, Um, but it, it, it's not something you want to lean on too much, because if you lean on that all the time, food can become an idol, and it can, you know, that's where you can start dealing with things like gluttony, uh, um, where you start uh, um, valuing, overvaluing food as a, relief to the stress and anxiety because ultimately it comes back to god and then you know again the walking the fit that physical stuff that helps with dealing with kind of the the uh, um consequences of anxiety we could say so yeah great question great question
1: anything else
0: awesome well hey Thank you guys so much. You've been a great audience. I hope that this time has been uh, um, rewarding. I hope this time has been helpful for you guys. Uh, um, let's, end, let's end our time in some prayer. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have to come together to, uh, um, to lift up our anxieties, our burdens, our worries to you, God. You said, Jesus, you said that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. God, the person that, God, you are in control of everything. Help us to remember that. Help us to to put our anxieties, our worries in the context of your great and immeasurable power and great and immeasurable love for us. God, we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray.
1: Amen. Awesome.